The first murder trial for Ronald Gene Simmons began May 9, 1988, barely more than five months after his arrest. It was an extremely short pretrial phase, especially for a capital murder case. He was tried in the city of Ozark in Franklin County, about 45 miles west of Russellville. There was never going to be an unbiased jury selected in Pope County, so the defense's request for a change of venue was granted without much resistance. The charges against Simmons were for the December 28, 1987 murders of Kathy Kendrick and James Chaffin, and the attempted murders of Julie Money, Rusty Taylor, David Sawyer, Roberta Woolery, and Joyce Butts. He also was charged with one count of kidnapping for holing up in a room with Vicki Jackson while in possession of two guns. Julie Money was among the first witnesses called to the stand. She recalled the image of Simmons shooting J.D. in front of her, stepping over his body, and then turning and shooting at her. She recalled feeling the heat from the bullet through her hair. Jurors also heard from Rusty Taylor, who wore a brace on his arm because he was still suffering from the nerve damage as a result of being shot. He recalled sitting in the office, helping a customer, and that's when he looked up and saw someone firing a gun at him. The state also called Brenda Jones to the stand, a witness to the first shooting at the Peel and Eddie law firm. She was the woman in the lobby who watched as Simmons shot Kathy Kendrick multiple times in the face. David Sawyer, the manager at the Minimart, also testified. He told jurors that he was seated in the back of the store on December 28th when Simmons entered, fired one shot at him, and missed him. Before he could fully grasp what was happening, Sawyer saw Simmons turn around and fired twice at Roberta Woolery, who was struck in the chin. Then the gunman turned around and shot twice more at Sawyer, striking him once. All of those witnesses said they saw Simmons sport an evil grin, like he was enjoying inflicting pain, trauma, and death on other people. Simmons also seemed to be enjoying the trial. He knew it would result in a death sentence, something he very much wanted. He went to great lengths during his second trial to show just how much he wanted that. Presented by the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, you're listening to The Devil of Pope County, America's Worst Family Massacre. Thirteen of Becky Simmons's relatives attended the trial, including Viola O'Shields, her older sister. Vi's husband, Roger, sat next to her, holding her hand. Roger talked to the Arkansas Democrat after the first day of testimony. He observed the defendant closely. He told the paper, quote, He glanced at me and put his head down fast. He knew we were there. I wanted him to know. That's the worst punishment, to live with himself. A needle or the electric chair is an easier way out, end quote. It was one of the most highly publicized trials ever in Arkansas, especially in that part of the state. The city of Ozark had to contend with a lot of news vans and a lot of media, including national media. As many as 70 people filled the courtroom, many of them members of the public who were there because they were interested in the case and because they wanted to catch a glimpse of the notorious killer. After the trial was underway, there was still the looming likelihood of a second trial. 
for the family slangs. That was something many people were dreading, because a second trial would include far more disturbing images and descriptions of murder. It would be the one to include testimony about the slangs on the Simmons property. To them, sitting through the first trial was an act of preparation for what was likely to come months down the road. Patrick McNulty Sr., father of Dennis McNulty, one of the 14 victims killed inside that house, told the media, quote, We've got our own grief to deal with. We're going to have to deal with it sooner or later. When we go to our trial, it's going to be tougher. Hopefully this will prepare us, end quote. The first trial had its share of gut-wrenching testimony. On the trial's second day, jurors heard from Joyce Butts, Simmons's former boss at Woodline Motor Freight, the last victim who was shot. Of all the surviving victims, Joyce had the most severe injuries. Joyce, who had to be assisted to the stand by her husband, testified that she could not remember what happened before she was shot in the head and chest. She remembered taking a phone call that morning, and the next thing she remembers is waking up in a hospital bed ten days later. She lost ten days of her life. Joyce said she had to undergo open-heart surgery to remove a bullet that was lodged in her heart muscle. She was partially paralyzed on her left side by the bullet. While Joyce talked about her injuries, scars, and what she had to live through to gain what little of her strength she could get back, her husband started sobbing in the courtroom. After she was finished, her husband escorted her off the stand. Sheriff Jim Boland stood between them and the defendant the entire time she testified. Boland told the media he did so to shield Simmons from Joyce's view because she was so unnerved at the prospect of sitting in front of the man who had tried to kill her. Joyce's testimony was one of the most dramatic moments of the trial. After four days of jury selection, witness testimony, motions, and arguments, Ronald Gene Simmons was convicted and sentenced to death, plus 147 years in prison. Simmons looked satisfied at the verdict, and he asked the judge permission to read a prepared statement. His request was granted, and he had a lot to say. Simmons said in part, quote, My statement is that if the jury renders the most proper and just and wise sentence of death in this case, I, Ronald Gene Simmons Sr., want it to be known that it is my wish and my desire that absolutely no action by anybody be taken to appeal or in any way change the sentence. End quote. He went on to say that he wanted his death sentence to be carried out expeditiously and that he wanted no action that would, quote, delay, deny, defer, or denounce this very correct and proper sentence, end quote. Simmons pointed out in his statement that he had always endorsed state executions. Referring to his case specifically, Simmons told the judge that anything short of death would be cruel, an unusual punishment. He concluded his statement by saying, quote, I only ask for what I deserve. Let the torture and suffering in me end. Please allow me the right to be at peace. End quote. At the time, Arkansas had no mandatory appeal of death sentences, but a review was automatic unless the convicted murderer waived it. Simmons waived it. That move turned out to be a source of controversy. At the conclusion of his first trial, 
Simmons agreed to meet privately with Roger and Viola O'Shields, his in-laws. During an interview a couple years later with THV11, Vi described part of that conversation with Simmons. I asked him, I said, was Loretta first? Did they suffer? And Roger stopped me. He says, don't ask him. It's not fair. And he looked at me and he said, I'll answer one and that's all. No, Loretta was not first and I would not let an animal suffer. And that was it. Roger and Vi met with Simmons a few times after that. They also received eight letters from him while he was in prison. No light was ever shed on that nagging question they had. Why did he do it? He never gave them a straight answer. Vi told a reporter during the days before Simmons' execution that he had promised her he would not go to his grave without telling her the full truth as to why he killed his family. She told that reporter it was becoming clear to her that he was going to break that promise. He did. But there was one small confession he did give to Viola's husband, Roger O'Shields. Simmons told Roger that his original plan was to commit suicide after he was finished killing his victims. He planned to put a bullet in his head and end it all. Roger asked him why he changed his mind. Simmons responded, quote, do you know what kind of ammunition I was using? 22 caliber hollow points. They don't penetrate. They splatter. I did not want to shoot myself and become a vegetable. End quote. Roger said he always rejected that explanation. It did not make sense to him. He said he wished Simmons had ended his life that day, especially because he never offered an explanation for why he did it, why he killed his entire family, as well as Kathy Kendrick, and J.D. Chaffin. People kept waiting and hoping for that explanation. As long as Simmons was alive, they held on to that hope. Simmons never gave them what they had hoped for. It was the last bit of cruelty he would serve to them. Roger thought Simmons caused more people more pain by staying alive. Simmons' execution date was scheduled for June 24, 1988, about a month and a half after his conviction, an incredibly short amount of time. No case had been on track anywhere close to that speed since the restoration of the death penalty in 1976. According to the Death Penalty Information Center, the average amount of time between sentencing and execution for a death row inmate in 1988 was 80 months and Simmons was en route to be put to death a mere six weeks after his sentencing. To put that in greater perspective, the average amount of time between sentencing and execution for a death row inmate in 2020 was 227 months, the equivalent of 18.9 years. Simmons's early execution for the Russellville shootings, had it remained on track, meant there was not going to be enough time to try Simmons for the Dover slayings. Not everyone objected to that. There seemed to be some dread in the air about holding a second trial. In fact, the trial judge who sentenced Simmons in Ozark, John Patterson, said a second trial would be, quote, more vindictive than serving any useful cause, end quote. That's also how Simmons wanted it. His attorneys did not stand in his way, and neither did the state. But not everyone approved of the thought of an express lane to the death chamber. Charlotte Croston, the mother of Renata Simmons, Billy's wife, said to the media, 
with tears rolling down her face, quote, I'd like for him to suffer a little bit before he's put to sleep. I don't know if he believes in the hereafter, but the last laugh is on him, because he's going to suffer a lot more there. I want him to die. I just want him to face justice in this life before he does. End quote. It should be noted that Simmons's fellow death row inmates also wanted him to wait a bit longer. They were not liking what they were reading in the news about Simmons's pursuit of a speedy execution. Simmons alleged that the other inmates saw him as a threat because he was insisting on dying as soon as possible while they were trying to avoid their executions. It's like a damn holding, Simmons wrote in a letter to the media. If I'm executed, he stated, the dam will break and other executions will follow. Simmons had to be closely watched and guarded while he was on death row. His fellow inmates resented him so much that prison staff suspected that his life was in danger. On June 16, 1988, a week and a half or so before his originally scheduled execution, the Arkansas Churches for Life, an organization opposed to the death penalty, filed a petition before the Arkansas Supreme Court seeking a stay and a ruling that death sentences must be appealed. On June 20th, four days after the petition was filed, the Arkansas Supreme Court ruled 6-1 to one that Simmons be granted a stay of execution. It would be a brief stay. Three weeks later, on July 11th, after hearing all the arguments, the state's high court upheld the sentence. Governor Bill Clinton signed the death warrant, and Simmons's new execution date was August 9th, 1988. Then came another development. One week before that scheduled execution, on August 2nd, a U.S. District Court judge issued a stay. Simmons was ordered by the judge to undergo another round of psychiatric evaluation by a pair of mental health experts in Missouri. The judge said he felt that more examinations were needed to accept Simmons's decision to waive his right to an appeal. Predictably, Simmons was not compliant during the interviews. A psychiatric team at the federal facility where he was housed told the media that Simmons actively sought to sabotage their examinations. On December 29, 1988, one year and one day after the Russellville shootings, the judge in the case ruled that Simmons was competent to waive his appeal. But those two postponements meant that Simmons would have to stand trial for the family slayings. He went before the same trial judge, John Patterson, but this time the trial would be held in Clarksville in Johnson County. Clarksville is about 25 miles northwest of Russellville. The trial began February 9th, 1989. Even though there was uncertainty that there was even going to be a second trial, and even though some people, including the trial judge, publicly spoke in opposition to having one, and even though Simmons had already been sentenced to die, the second trial turned out to be even bigger than the first. The prosecutor in the case, John Bynum, said once the second stay was issued, there was an unobstructed path to the second trial. He told the media, quote, The trial is not avoidable and has never been avoidable since the intervention occurred. There are 14 people dead. You can't just let it dry up on the vine. End quote. Extra security was brought to the courthouse. 
including eight armed state troopers inside the building and more on the roof. After the 12 jurors were selected, the second murder trial for Ronald Gene Simmons was underway. Ray Caldwell, one of the senior investigators at the Polk County Sheriff's Office, took the stand on day one. After he testified, he sat in the courtroom and watched the rest of the trial. He noticed that everyone inside that courtroom was every bit as attentive as he was. Well, it was very quiet. I mean, there was a lot of security. There was a lot of people in the, in the audience listening. You know, it was a more full courtroom. There were 35 exhibits submitted during the first trial. For the second trial, it was more than double that. Many more tears were shed during the second one, too, and spectators were shocked to see the video footage of what detectives saw inside the house and inside the pit in the ground on Simmons's property. Caldwell said when jurors saw the photos of the crime scene, they were appalled and angry. When the video evidence was played for them, many jurors wept, according to the media who covered the trial. Many of the family members asked the row of reporters to sit or stand in front of them so that they could not see the gruesome images. One piece of testimony that left spectators reeling was when the medical examiner took the stand and said one of the child victims, three-year-old Barbara, still had a fishing line wrapped around her neck when she was brought in for an autopsy. When he mentioned that the line was wrapped five times around her neck, people audibly gasped inside the courtroom. During the entire trial, Simmons was as detached emotionally as he had been during the first one. In spite of the video footage of the bodies lying in the house and being pulled from the makeshift grave and the trunks of two cars, that wasn't lost on those who were watching the trial. One of the courtroom spectators was a student at a local high school who was there to observe a large-scale murder trial. She spent much of that time observing Simmons, and she could not believe how stoic he was. She later told a reporter, quote, I thought he would cry when he saw the tapes, cry when he saw the pictures, or put his head down, but he didn't. It was as if he was examining something about someone else, not about him, and not about his family. End quote. Among the evidence exhibits submitted in court were the notes that Simmons placed in the safe deposit box at the local bank. Anne Broadwater, formerly of THV11, read from one of those notes during a news special that was aired a couple years after the trial. Simmons wrote, You have caused me a great deal of pain, suffering, sorrow, and loneliness. You claim Dennis won't let you talk to me alone. Well, he is going to regret that, and so will you. I told you that your lack of communicating with me is going to be your downfall. You have destroyed me, and in time, you will destroy yourself. In over 968 days, I have kissed you only once. I adored you. I cared for you so much, and it really hurts. I miss you so very much, too. You've turned your back on me and pushed me out of your life. Listen very carefully to what I am saying. I do not want Dennis to set foot on my property. He turned you against me. You want me out of your life? I will be out of your life. I will see you in hell. And as I mentioned in a previous episode, was one of the few people Simmons spoke to about this case. She met with him a total of four times. One of those meetings Anne had with Simmons was held shortly before the Clarksville trial began. She talked to me about that meeting recently. Simmons blurted out something to Anne during that meeting that was so cryptic and so out of the blue, she had no way of knowing what he was talking about. He said the letters M-N-M. 
Well, he seemed to be kind of pleased with himself. He wanted to, like he was letting me in on a secret, M-N-M, and he wouldn't tell me what it was. But in his mind, it was very clear to him what it stood for. So Anne figured it was relevant in some way based on Simmons's expressions and body language, but she had no idea what he was referring to. She thought maybe he was referring to the initials of one of his victims, perhaps Michael McNulty, but she was only taking wild guesses. Simmons refused to elaborate. He smiled at her and told her that the answer would come during the trial. One day during the trial, in a packed courtroom, without provocation from anyone, the defendant, Ronald Gene Simmons, who was not handcuffed, lunged forward during a sidebar conference and struck prosecutor John Bynum in the jaw with his fist. Simmons also reached for the holstered gun of one of the bailiffs who was trying to subdue him. Simmons was tackled to the floor cuffed and removed from the courtroom. A recess was called. Some of the spectators, family members of the victims, had fallen to the floor because they were so scared of what Simmons seemed to be trying to do. The three-letter message Simmons gave Jansen was an acronym. MNM stood for Mitigating Neutralizing Maneuver. Defense attorneys who represent murder defendants facing the death penalty try to convince jurors of mitigators or mitigating circumstances to humanize their clients so that they would be more inclined to recommend a life sentence over death. Mitigators are a means to conjure as much sympathy as possible. Simmons never wanted the jury's sympathy. He never wanted them to consider mitigation. He struck the prosecutor in the face to guarantee a death sentence for himself. Ray Caldwell was in the courtroom when that happened and still remembers it. I was there when that happened. When I was called up to the bench and he hit the prosecuting attorney and scuffle went from there. Oh yeah, I was in the courtroom that time. It was more of a glancing blow, but yeah. The Gazette ran a story after the incident in which Bynum told the reporter, quote, The jury can see what a vile individual we're dealing with and how quickly he can go from zero to 60, end quote. Other than a little bruising, Bynum was not hurt. The news of the punch made its way to the attorney general's office in Little Rock. The one who held the office at the time, Steve Clark, could not believe it. We've never had in my lifetime and haven't had it since I know of a defendant jump across the desk and slug the prosecutor. I just, it's like, you've got to be making this stuff up. Anne spoke to Simmons soon after the incident. After he had hit the prosecutor and I walked in, I remember the next meeting and I said, Gene, what did you do? And he kind of smirked. He had a little smile on his face and he said, M-N-M. And I said... I don't know what that means. And he said mitigating or mitigation neutralizing maneuver. And then I was like, oh, as one would think, you know, I mean, how do you, but he said, I wanted the jury to go out to, you know, start deliberating and have that as the last thing they saw as an act of violence. So I would, it would secure my death penalty. Jurors deliberated for four hours and returned with a guilty verdict on all 14 counts of murder. It took about half the time for them to deliberate on a recommendation for death. The 100 or so people inside the courtroom applauded when the guilty verdict was announced. When the death sentence was announced, the courtroom was silent. On February 11, 1989, the judge carried out the sentence recommended by the jury. Simmons was sentenced to death for killing his family. 
His new execution date was set for March 16th of that year. Afterward, Simmons was moved to a new prison, the Arkansas Cummins Unit, where his execution was going to take place. That was where his life was reportedly in danger for the entirety of his stay there. He chose to die by lethal injection. It was a new method adopted by the state. During the late afternoon of March 16, 1989, Simmons was eating his final meal, one that consisted of an 8-ounce filet mignon, raw onions, sliced tomato, six rolls, and a couple of 7-ups. He had already begun his meal when he was told there was another stay of execution. He was only hours away from death when he got the word. This time, the U.S. Supreme Court granted the stay. The latest ruling was based on a request by a fellow death row inmate, Jonas Whitmore, who felt Simmons's fast track toward execution was negatively affecting his chances for an overturned sentence on appeal. Then Attorney General Steve Clark found himself in a uniquely strange situation. The state wanted Simmons to die for his crimes, but appeals were being filed, and they weren't being filed by Simmons. Ironically, if anyone was more invested in seeing Simmons be put to death than the state of Arkansas, it was Simmons himself. Clark prepared to go before the U.S. Supreme Court to argue to have Simmons' death sentence go forward. Standing before the country's most powerful judiciary panel was not new to him. He'd done it before, but this time was different. Steve Clark pointed out to the media that the high court was concerned with Arkansas's death penalty procedure. That was the issue at play, not whether Simmons deserved to be executed. Simmons did not care about nuances. He was growing impatient and needed someone to criticize, so he was critical of Steve Clark. Apparently, in Simmons's mind, the state's most powerful lawyer was not pursuing his death sentence vigorously enough. I spoke to Steve who said he'd never experienced anything like that during his legal career. That was a very uncommon thing. And so there was nothing about this that was a square peg to fit in a square hole. It just didn't. It was a round peg and it didn't fit in a square hole. Arkansas and Ohio were the only states at the time that allowed death row inmates to waive their rights to an appeal. All other death penalty states did not offer inmates that option. Appeals were mandatory. Steve had to argue to the nation's highest court why Simmons had the right to waive such an appeal if he was willing and competent enough to do so. What is your best legal judgment about whether a person can agree to accept their punishment whenever they agree to accept it? And, and that's the general statement of whatever that punishment is, including death. What's the legal issue here that the inmates at Cummins are raising? If Ronald Gene Simmons has decided to accept his punishment, for whatever reasons, he has the independent right to make that decision. The way Whitmore and others like him saw it, Simmons's selfish pursuit of the quickest death possible would negatively affect his fate and the fates of his fellow death row inmates. That's why appeals should be mandatory in every case, just like it is in most death penalty states, according to Whitmore. If you go that far, do you have to go the next step and say, because of that, if he makes decisions that potentially impacts others, and that's what they were saying, with this decision, he's impacting my life now. He's impacting my opportunity to get my review. 
The U.S. Supreme Court heard arguments on January 10, 1990. Steve Clark argued on behalf of the state. Simmons was writing letters to the media constantly during this period. At one point, Simmons called Steve incompetent. Steve, in turn, called Simmons a scumbag and said he would not cross the street to spit on him if it meant saving his life. Those were not my finest moments to say, you know, I wouldn't walk across the street to spit on him. But it did communicate the fact that I was disgusted by his conduct and his behavior. Again, the entire situation was bizarre. Ronald Gene Simmons and Steve Clark wanted the same thing. At the end of his trial, he enters into the record a sworn statement that says, do not appeal for me. Do not try to help me in my life going forward with what I'm facing because I do not seek or ask your help. I do not want your help. I willingly accept my punishment. Whitmore's appeal paused everything for 13 months, but in the end, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled 7-2 to two that Whitmore had no standing to intervene. Ultimately, the issue of the right to deny an appeal of a death sentence was not even addressed. Governor Bill Clinton signed yet another death warrant for Ronald Gene Simmons, this time for June 25, 1990, nearly two years after the original execution date. There would be no more roadblocks. Simmons was going to die. It was just a matter of whether his death would give people the sense of relief they hoped it would. Coming up on the final episode of The Devil of Pope County, America's Worst Family Massacre. Of course, you can't go through something like this and not have it affect you at all. I'd never seen anybody that close that looked that evil. These kids telling me that Simmons would throw rocks at them. The Devil of Pope County is written and hosted by Tony Holt, produced by Kyle McDaniel, and presented by the Arkansas Democrat Gazette.